Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 1234 in Edmonton. Quickly to our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, I really want to thank you for bringing Alish on the air. He was my favorite oiler. Uh, great to hear him on the show. Stay safe, Bob. And uh, that comment from Hemsky, me too, Bob, was hilarious. I spit my coffee. Brendan Escott's back at the uh, 630 Chet Studios momentarily. We'll bring in Mark Spector for the horses and horse racing. Alberta. And what did you say to me at the end of the interview? You said you didn't know what, that he had that much? That he was that much of a character. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he didn't, he wasn't one of those guys that necessarily when he, when he came up in a league was, would be a go-to guy in the dressing room for a great quote, but very subtly over time, he's, he's always had a great sense of humor. And the Me Too Bob comment on the, uh, well, I mean, he opened up the Pandora's box by talking about the fact that when he goes to games in Dallas, he only watches for about five minutes that goes off and has a drink. And there were some tough miles there in 2010, 2011. And that's why I, I said, hey, about five minutes into a game a couple times, I think I wanted to have a drink of the Me Too Bob caught me totally off. That was a funny, funny comment. We bring aboard the... Uh, one and only Mark Spector for the Horses and Horse Race in Alberta for NHL Hockey and Rogers and Sportsnet. Hello, Speck. How are you doing? Pretty fair. Bobby, how are you doing? Good. And is it fair to say that Alish today is a different guy? Did he always, I mean, did he always have that? I think he, if, if you knew him a little, you knew that he had a sense of humor. But he didn't, he wasn't a guy that was necessarily a point guy in the Oilers' room uh, throughout you know, prior to, say, that 2006 Stanley Cup playoff run. Is that a fair assessment? No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, you know, when Alice arrived, remember, he, he rolled into town as a very young, young player, right? Where was he? Hull Olympics? Sure. Um, he comes into town. His English wasn't very good. And he, you know, he was, he was hesitant, right, to do media. Uh, his English was better. You know how it is with those guys. Bob, you've interviewed guys whose English is pretty good when you converse, but then when you put a tape recorder in front of them or a camera, you know, it, it gets a little harder to grasp those words. So he was always reluctant, and frankly, he was a nice, I mean, a good guy, nice guy, had a sense of humor and all those things. 
But he was never a guy when you went into the room after the game that was sitting in the stall waiting to do the media. You always had to send someone out, like one of the PR guys, and say, hey, can you go get Alex Hemsky, JJ? Because he wasn't that enamored. Is that fair to say, Bob, with standing in front of microphones and cameras? Well, I, you know, Mark, I, 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 I'll take it one step further. Like, I think, uh, I think a couple things. I don't think he loved practicing hard day to day. And I do think, I know he didn't. He just said it, right? But it was a, you know, the the point is, he's a different type of player. And uh, like some people would say, well, he should have been a ninety to hundred point guy. And others accept what he wants. I mean, I found Craig McTavish's comments from Reed Wilkins to be pretty interesting because he basically said he was the most important guy I had on the team while I was here. And I don't know if people believe that. Like, a lot of people would say Ryan Smith was the most important player that Craig. I would, for the record, I would not be one of those players to say that. I think Ryan Smith made the most of what he had. But I think that Alish had the ability and the capacity in his game to elevate at critical times and score special. It came down to this. I think Ryan Smith, through sheer force and will, could, could be a competitive player. Uh, he he often needed other players to help him get there, whereas I believe that Alish Hemsky could flat-out beat guys by himself. And if you accepted the nuance in his games, that there were going to be nights that he might frustrate you, he could elevate at critical times, and in fact, he often did as an order. How's that? Well, yeah, exactly. I think Ryan, uh, Ryan Smith was not blessed with nearly the skill that Alish Hemsky was blessed with, right? I mean, that, there's no questioning that. Alish Hemsky had you know, what you would call God-given talents that, that most most guys don't have. But, you know, we, we he's that classic in, in many ways, Alice. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a let's dump on Alice Hemsky, but we're having the conversation. I'm not, I wouldn't let you do yeah. that. We've had yeah. this. We've done 800 of these shows over the years. Right. So. He's, he's, I mean, he was a fantastic player here. And he, you know, I, I think Mick T was perfectly on. Okay, so he didn't practice real hard. When the game was on the line, man, you could you throw 83 over the boards and count on getting a, a big play. But he was, in many ways, some of that, that classic European player that you thought, man, if you worked as hard as that kid from Moose Jaw or that, you know, or Ryan Smith, if you had his work ethic and practice and all those things, how good could you be? I mean, he was such a good player and had so many God-given talents. You just thought, you know, you did. It's kind of like Dustin Penner. You thought, you're good. But, man, could you be better. And, you know, I think Alashansky got a lot closer, a lot closer to his peak. And, and, you know, he was a fantastic player. But he did sometimes, you did sometimes think when he'd whiff on another one-timer, which he frankly never had in his career was a one-timer, you'd go, man, what if you practiced that for a while? How good would you be if you could actually hit that one-timer? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's it's funny, Speck, because, you know, I, I think of Alashemsky as a guy that got cronwalled a couple times that Robin Regeer blasted. Yeah. Yeah. And it never dissuaded him. He kept on coming at guys and challenging guys. He was not, I mean, there's nothing to suggest in his game that he was an elite finisher, right? Like, I mean, you talk about the one-timers. That really wasn't in his record. Like, he was primarily a, a playmaker. And the goals he scored often were spectacular because he didn't overpower anybody from the outside, right? Like, 
Like, you know, and, and we're talking a whole different animal. Like, McDavid's a way better player, but McDavid's got a way better shot off the rush than Hemsky had. Hemsky's, Hemsky's goals off the rush were deking the goaltender out of his, you know, proverbial jock like he did twice one afternoon in Philadelphia, and you're like, or against Carolina in game one of the Stanley Cup final, you're, you're like, wow. So, and I, I do think, the one thing I will say, Mark, when it comes to the practice stuff, is I just think we saw a bit of an evolution take place. And the days of hammering on guys and working guys over, and uh, this is the cost, I, I think we've kind of, there's a pace to practice at, and you, you practice smart so you have the energy to play better during the game. So, you know, I'm, I, I really, I, I think Alex is quite an interesting guy in terms of where he rates amongst Oilers players. I gotta tell you, because I think time, I think time is going to serve him well. I really well, do. It. One of the interesting things was like he was never blessed with the ability to skate around guys. He didn't beat many guys wide in his day. He was a good skater, but he wasn't, you know. Speed and lightning speed wasn't his calling card. But he had the skills to come straight at you one-on-one and get out the other end with the puck. Like, not many Oilers had the ability to go to dangle guys, you know, to break ankles, as they say in basketball, as Alice did. He could. He did it every night. And, and, you know, I just want to go back to something you said. Robin Regeer was the great test of, of any player's courage. And particularly Alashansky, because you know there's always even Pavel Bury. Remember who was the who was the guy? Was it not Tony Twist? He elbowed some. Oh, he uh, got uh, who did he elbow? Uh, big fighter, just not not him. not Berube, but uh, another Western Hockey League guy like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I want to say Twister, but it might have been. It wasn't Twister. The point was some of those Shane Sherla. It was Shane Sherla. Thank you, Shane Sherla. Yep. So some of those guys. Those skilled guys had that in their repertoire. They'd stick you. They'd elbow you when no one was looking. Halashevsky never even had that. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. And he took he took it from Robin Regeer, man, in that Battle of Alberta. Poor Robin Regeer just pounded him mercilessly. And what told you the real tale on Halashevsky was he just kept coming back for more. He never shied away from Regeer's side of the ice. He never shied away from Regeer's corner. And I'll tell you, a lot of guys that got hit a lot less times than Alashemsky did stayed a clear distance from Robin Regeer when he was in his prime. Yeah, or, or they used their stick on him. Whatever, I mean, that was but, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the other option. Is you, I mean, you, you get you get, like I said, Hemsky did not get dissuaded from attacking the net. He did not have an elite shot. He had real good vision. He was a smart power play guy. And I really found Reed's uh, Mackey's comments with Reed uh, pretty interesting, giving that that some people were often frustrated with Alish. My attitude was you kind of had to accept them for what he was. And I guess, and what he was, was a really skilled forward on an Oilers team that didn't, frankly, have an abundance of, like, it's a completely different team. You take a look at the three guys they run out now, Mark, on the 1-3-1 power play, and they've got three of the best, on the power play, three of the best, like, they've got two of the best players in the world, and then Nugent Hopkins, who on the power play, is an elite power play. They didn't have anybody like that when Hemsky uh was in his prime with the Oilers. And then by the, by the time that Hall and Nugent Hopkins and Jordan everything got here, Alice was getting, a, he was a little bit, you know, banged up at that stage and maybe, you know, was challenged to stay.
stay uh, healthy. But for about four years, Mark, he was, you know, damn near a point-per-game player. And that is, you know, that's easier said than done in today's NHL. And not on a very good team for some of those years, too. You make the point, Bob. He was, why do you think Robin Regeer was always beating on him? Because, you know, Robin Regeer was a top-pairing defender for a while at Calgary. And it was easy to coach against those Oilers, Bob, because they didn't have a lot of options. You know, they didn't have a lot of good players. You just put your top pairing out against Alex Hemsky and Ryan Smith every day, and you're probably going to beat them. And, yeah, they did get beat a fair bit. But uh, anyway, good player, good guy, and you're right. You know what? By the time he left Edmonton for Ottawa, uh, he had he had a lot of miles on that body. And, uh, you know, he wasn't as productive, and he was hurt a fair bit. He got his games in, but I recall him in Dallas, Bob. He played, what did he play, 76, 75 games, but... He wasn't quite the same player. I think the body kind nope. of betrayed him at the end, right? No, but in fairness to him, I, I do think, you know, when he went to Ottawa after that trade, he got a little bit rejuvenated. Like, he had 17 points in 20 games back in that 13-14 season in Ottawa. He scored another one of those patented, holy crap, goals where he beats two guys. And he had that ability. Like, he could freeze a defenseman. And, you know, Kimo Timonen was a pretty good defenseman. That game in oh, Philadelphia, yeah. I mean, and I, I part of the reason why I remember it is Rob Brown and me were broadcasting the game. And he froze Kimo Timonen twice in that game. And I remember the Oilers won 5-4. Penner had a goal in that game as well. And, and Hemsky's a Ability to kind of slow the pace down and just kind of weave in and out and then attack the net and undress the goaltender. It was uh, it was good. And he, you know what? You needed different. The Oilers in the 06 playoff run, that was a special time for the city. A whole new generation. Like, Mark, you and me grew up watching, I think, the greatest, most exciting team of all time. It, you know, the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s. And today's the anniversary of their first Stanley Cup championship. But for the younger generation, Mark, that 06 run, they have different heroes. And for many of them, Alish Hemsky is one of their heroes from that time period. Well, and that was his, the best season uh, that he ever had. That was a 77-point season for Alish Hemsky in 05-06. And uh, another 17 points in the playoffs. So... No, that's fair, Bob. And it's, you know, I like this. His answer wasn't quite as direct as Ethan Morrill's the other day when you asked him about uh, Dwayne Rollison going down. But uh, you know what? He was part of the reason that was such a game team. You know, they lost their goal. They still stretched it to seven. Uh, those goals he scored against Detroit, you know, that series against San Jose, he was, there was, that was the difference was he was one of many weapons on those teams. I think right. he had a chance uh, early in his career he was like the only weapon or one of very few weapons and a little tougher to play. You know, it's funny, Mark. Uh, Ethan talked about the fact that they could have just kept their group together for a couple more years and, you know, and seen where it could have gone. And really, the Pronger thing is a one-off because there was a request that made. He was only there for one year. But I think Ethan was speaking more to, you know, Jarrett Stoll and Matt Green not getting traded for Vizhnovsky. Because Jared Stoll, let's not forget, he had 68 points. Horkoff had 73, albeit it was a higher offensive season in 05-06 because of the five-on-three power plays that year. But I think there was a belief that they might have been able to achieve some things coming up. And it ultimately went in a bit of a different direction. The organization committed to a rebuild and seemingly, you know, had had some challenges going through that. And... uh, and when we had Ethan on, the, the, the thing with Ethan is, I think there was a sense that they they 
there was a bit of a culture that was built in place and that was taken away from them. You know what I mean? And yep. I think an oh, Alish yeah. is, I think Alish is at a little bit, like you listen now, like you heard the interview with Alish. I think he's pretty happy and content with, with, with the way, you know, things worked. I don't think he, you know, he had, a, he had a decent, I think in Ethan's case, he thought the group might have been able to achieve more. I don't know. Maybe, I don't want to read too yeah, much. Yeah, well, that's fair. And let's face it, that, that, you know, they didn't, that 2006 playoff run will be remembered as a one-off. Now, the guys like Ethan Morrow and, and Alex Hampshire that were in it, they're going to tell you, yeah, if you'd have kept us together, we'd have come back every year, and that's fair. But history will show that the Oilers missed the playoffs 12 out of 13 years after that. Yeah. And it was a one-off. There's no getting around it. Well, in the 06-07 season, you know, final third of the season, I'm try- I think both Horkoff and Stoll were out. Stoll had been blown up by Sammy Paulson, had some concussion challenges, uh, you know, and, and Horkoff had suffered some injuries. And Horkoff had a year where he had like 50 points in 53 games. I don't think that Sean was ever a first-line center. But I think with Horkoff and Stoll, they had good second- and third-line centers. And Mac T seemed to be able to cobble together really good fourth, effective fourth lines as well. I mean, they still had Torres. Pisani was dealing with some health issues. Hemsky obviously was still here. Smith was here until February of 07. And that's, you know, that's another guy that, you know, and, and, and that situation to me will always be different than Bronger's. Um, and there's certainly, Smith will be the first to tell you there's culpability on his part for his departure as well. Uh, Pronger doesn't, to this day, I mean, Chris is a hell of a player. He elevated the Oilers, but he 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 100% was, you know, not disappointed to go. I think in Ryan's case, if if the situation could have been held differently, maybe it could have been avoided outright. Yeah, right? that and, was a, right. Everybody kind of botched that situation, and and that's not all on Matt. There, hey, there's lots of stuff to point the finger at management over there those years. Uh, Ryan would tell you that there's culpability on his camp's part as well. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. 12.50 in Edmonton. Uh, we're going to take a timeout for two minutes. It is Mark Spector uh, joining us for the horses in Horse Racing Alberta. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Chad. To talk about is easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a All game. right, that's Alan Iverson, and we run that uh, because former defenseman Mark has texted the show. says, uh, Bob, Mark, and Brendan, Alan Iverson summed it up best when it comes to practice he gave 100 percent when it mattered practice is for working on fundamentals it's for perfecting your craft if you want to work on your fitness do that on your own time kobe the uh mamba bryant worked out on his own and after hours hockey practice is perfecting your system and it's for analyzing your opponent through footage if you want to bag skate your team go for it you'll get the expected poor results from former defenseman mark and i do think we've seen a bit of a philosophical uh shift i mean mark we had glenn gulletson on the show last week and i asked him point blank you're practicing against the number two penalty killing unit in nhl does that make you better and he talked about the emphasis being on the fundamentals of what they're trying to do in the power play and the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, 
no one's shooting the puck to score at the same level that they do in a game, and it it, it, it brought an interesting perspective. So I don't know, but I do think, like, Mark, 15, 18 years ago, I think there was a theory on how hard you had to practice, and I think that's moved a bit in time. Oh. Agree or disagree? We're having two different conversations here. Like, has practice changed and practice habits changed and the guys take four days off? Oh, for sure, Bob. There is absolutely no question about that. It has changed. Now, the other conversation is, are you telling me that Alex Hemsky was a visionary? Because no. he's the first guy off the ice every day? Because <laughs> I'm not saying he was a visionary. <laughs> right? Good, great player. Great player. Wasn't big on practice. That's just who he was, man. you, you got to take yeah. every element of the player, and that was one element for him. I would say he was a really good player. Like, oh, I, you, you know, I don't okay. think he was I, – I like – you know this. I liked Alish as much as – Anybody that was, you know, and I was on the periphery for much of his time, but uh, I, I, I still love the fact that he got two goals in Game Six back in uh, uh, 2006. In game, mm. just, just, just to watch Terry Jones and Jim Matheson's face interviewing him after the game because they were chirping up in the press box when the orders were down two nothing in Detroit. Uh, so yeah, I think we've discussed the Hevsky thing to, uh, in full. Uh, and again, there's guys, I mean, we saw during the whole documentary with Last Dance, the relentlessness that Michael Jordan brought on a day-by-day basis. And that's the completely other end of the scale, pushing his team to be elite and trying to get the most out of people. And Don Horwood brought up the point that Jordan had to do that because Phil Jackson was pretty laid back as a coach. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it, Speck? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I was watching the, I think I'm on the uh, the ninth show. Is there 10 of them, Bob? Yes. I watched the ninth one last night. So um, that struck me throughout the whole thing, that Phil Jackson's a pretty cool cat, you know? There was a, there was a point where they had the mic on him uh, where he was outlining a play with about three seconds left, the one where Jordan scores against Utah. And his voice was so calm. The place is going crazy. Everyone's hyped up. And Phil Jackson's just talking like a guy like it's a Monday afternoon in the park. I thought, man, there's a guy who portrays you know, an aura of calm at a time when his team could possibly be panicking. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we're getting texts. Uh, just thought Hevsky saying, "I did you hear the, the the clip where I mentioned he he talked about going to games in Dallas and having yeah. a maybe oh, having yeah. a beverage after five minutes?" And I said there were moments like that during the eleven twelve series season. Alish, I I wish I could have done that. Me too. That that is that's pretty funny. That's uh, a pretty good comeback. Hey, Mark. Uh, people are saying we need to get serious on the show here. Maybe talk. Well, maybe talk a bit about how seriously things are going to change in a covert sports sports world coming out of this. So let's go down that path in hour number two. Is that, is that cool with you? Yeah, perfect. Let's do it. Mark Spector from Sportsnet for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta off to a global news weather traffic update with Carrie McCarthy. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.